Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one National Football League daily podcast. You can find this show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Just like every program here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team is covered no matter the sport on the network. You can find me at DD Peacock on Twitter, my faithful co-host, Matt Williamson. You can find him at Williamson NFL. We did, we changed it up. We did Matt's mock draft yesterday. So go back and listen to my mock Monday, Matt's mock on Thursday's episode of the program. Some similarities, some big differences as well. Both really fun to do, and uh, those are fun episodes. But today, we had to push back our Twitter Thursday to Friday. So we're going to get into those Twitter questions today because we do want to have one show. That is your show every week to all the listeners out there. A little bit of news here before we get started. I think the big one that we didn't talk about yesterday, which is uh, it's quite interesting because of players already on the roster, but also because of the player and what he could have become. And Alden Smith is making a comeback pending still. He's applied for reinstatement. It's not official that he will be reinstated. It's looking like he will, but not clear when. And the Dallas Cowboys are going to give him a one-year contract that could be up to $4 million. Uh, The base is just a veteran minimum base, and he has a series of bonuses to earn. So he has to stay on that track, and he has to make the team, and he has to earn those incentives to get anywhere near the $4 million for his one year. But Matt, what do you think? The 30-year-old Alden Smith making a comeback. I mean, he was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL out of the gate. 19 and a half sacks his second year with the 49ers after being drafted in the top 10 in 2011. Yeah, a lot to unpeel there. I mean, Dallas, I guess you can look at it two ways. I'm all in favor of giving players, especially substance abuse guys, as opposed to, you know, domestic or violence things. I give them more um, chances if it was up to me. I mean, it's just the nature of who I am, I guess, or whatever. So uh, I'm happy to see that he's back in the league and has a chance to do what he does best. And the Cowboys, they are either very good at second chances or turn their back on some character guys, however you want to look at it. But they're one of the teams most apt to bring somebody like that in. It's also a need position. I mean, you put him opposite Lawrence, that's what they're looking for. They need help there right now with Quinn now in Chicago. But let's talk a little bit about what he was or could have been or might still be. You mentioned it. I thought he was, I mean, for those who don't remember, I mean, he was drafted in that awesome Julio, AJ Green, Watt, Cam Newton class. So, I mean, he's an older guy, but he could have been, in my opinion, every bit as good as all those guys, Patrick Peterson from that awesome class in terms of one of the best edge rushers of this generation. I mean, I think that's what he was becoming. He was an absolute monster. He could get around the corner, but his thing was power with length. They called him Condor because of his long arms, and he got under the pads of offensive tackles, and it was wild to see a guy who weighed 260 pounds bull rush 300-plus pounders into the lap of quarterbacks. And uh, he was a pretty amazing talent, and obviously the things went very south with his substance issues, and he's had multiple chances. Still hasn't played since November of 2015, so you're not going to get the guy we used to see, but the talent is still there, and it's interesting that he's got his chance. And I think one of the big proponents of Alden Smith, and the reason he might be getting a shot back in the league is because he's been spending some time with Jay Glazer. And Jay Glazer said that he is completely clean and sober now, and and Glazer's been around him for about a year. Glazer said recently uh, that 
quote, it's incredible how much he's turned his life around and that Alden Smith had been amazing in helping veterans deal with sobriety issues while he was getting help himself. And I think one of the biggest keys to go with that is where Alden Smith's head is at because he's he's kind of taken some responsibility for what he's done. He, he, he had a, a message on Instagram. It said, there is beauty in the struggle. Life will always present us with tests. I've learned how to take a different perspective on the adversities of life. Instead of looking at life as a victim, I have embraced the journey as God has planned it and making exponential strides towards becoming a better man. So taking some responsibility for his own, I think is the biggest step for him getting back and, you know, just getting his life together, let alone his career. Yeah, that that's awesome news. I mean, I hope it all works out for him. I'm rooting for him. Uh, more importantly, I hope he uh, conquered his demons and you know has a successful life going forward. But he might be a real help on the football field. And you know, you mentioned those early years in San Francisco, the combination and the twists and stunts that him and Justin oh, Smith man. used to pull off. Wow, that was really something. Justin I, Smith, I, I have yeah, forgotten about that. Justin Smith doesn't get enough credit for the kind of player he right. was, and yeah, a lot of. Alden Smith sacks. He can thank Justin Smith for taking up a couple of blockers because that was a monster. They were both coming off of the defense's left side, and that was just trouble for one of the best defenses in the league. And the 49ers uh, can really point to that side of Alden and Justin Smith being the major part of why they were so good in that period of time. Um, do you want to get onto some other issues here and some other news around the league? But I, they already have Randy Gregory in Dallas, and... I don't. I mean, you know, this just it's just that roster, and they're talking about even signing Dez. I mean, put him on hard knocks. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're uh, as I mentioned. If anyone's going to take a risk or you know roll the dice on a guy, then Dallas is pretty much the top of the list. So some other teams have some edge needs as well. The Seattle Seahawks are still kicking the tires on Jadavian Clowney. There are reports this week that Clowney's asking price has dropped from the $20 million range to maybe $17, $18 million per year. And the latest is that maybe the New York Jets are considering Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, and there's two headlines on edge. I, you know, the Jags, we also brought in the dockway the other day. The, the headline today is the Jags want a first-round pick and more for the dockway. Mm. Good luck. I mean, we've talked about this in uh, quite a bit. It's not a good edge class. Don't get me wrong. I mean, go look at my mock, your mock. I struggled putting guys in at the end and because they are edge and teams need them. So there will be a market for Clowney and then Dockway. But I just think that both the Jags and Clowney and his agent have overvalued their assets pretty obviously. But, man, I mean, the Jets have been looking for that guy forever. I mean, the Jets, to me – are good up the middle of their defense. Corners and edge guys have been bad forever. And adding a guy like Clowney, that was a decent defense last year. I mean, who knows where Quinton Williams is going to be. I haven't heard any news on him, but they would be a formidable front with Clowney. Another bit of news I think that is important for the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs had restructured with wide receiver Sammy Watkins. So it looks like Sammy is going to stick around for another year in KC. Yeah, and... And his name's popped up a lot lately because he was the first receiver taken in that great 2014 receiver class that's similar to the one coming out now. And with all respect to Odell and Evans and the guys that were drafted around him, this time in 2014, everyone thought Sammy was the number one guy. And they actually traded up for him in a receiver-heavy draft, the Bills. He hasn't lived up to that, and there's been some injuries, but he's still a quality player. 
um, more of an intermediate deep route runner at this point. And they're all about speed, obviously. And if he's your third fastest receiver, wow, we've seen what the <laughs> effects of that are. But honestly, I mean, I thought it was a foregone conclusion way back when that Sammy was going to get cut. He signed a huge deal a couple of years ago. And to be able to keep him, that offense shouldn't lose a beat. One more quick note here, and this maybe goes into the category of non-news because this is the only way I think uh, that that the coaching staff, Matt Nagy, and Chicago could do things. And Bears GM Ryan Pace said that there would be an open competition at quarterback between Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. And then there was a quote from Nagy that said, when we walk out on the first day, whenever it is, OTAs or whether it's training camp, Mitch will go into the first huddle but it's going to be equal with Foles. There will be equal reps with similar players and against similar players. So they're basically going to be 1A, 1B going out there. Trubisky get the first reps and open competition for the Chicago Bears at quarterback. Yeah, and this isn't, like you said, it's not huge news that shouldn't shock anyone. It is noteworthy. I'm glad we brought it up. And my, my thoughts on it are you had to do it this way. I mean, I guarantee that pace in the front office is hoping Trubisky flat out wins this, you know, they're invested in him. They know who Foles is. Trubisky could still resurrect his career, whatever, hopefully, hopefully, and he's going to win any tie in my opinion, but to be honest to your locker room and honest to your players, they know, you know, you, you can't just tell me that we're just Mitch has got the job and, and less further notice that, that that's not fair to, you know, Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and the, the, those yeah. type of dudes. I mean, open it up and let's see who the best guy is. If you just gave the job to Trubisky, what's the point of paying and trading for Foles? Because the whole point uh-huh. there is you potentially can upgrade your quarterback spot. You're not going to pay a guy $15 million, just be a backup, and know that he's not going to beat out Mitch Trubisky. So there had to be some competition there. Right. It wasn't like the Packers traded for Foles as insurance or right. when the Saints brought in Bridgewater. I mean... In this situation, anyone that knows anything about football realizes that they're at least on the same tier. All right, let's check in with Twitter. We've got a lot of questions, a lot of good ones. I think we'll very easily take up the rest of our time here. And I do want to thank everybody for getting involved with our Twitter Thursday that became Twitter Friday, Fan Friday this week. We will hit those Twitter questions next. I and I think both of us have gotten an awful lot of nice tweets from people the last couple of weeks saying, hey, thanks for putting something out daily for me to listen to. I look forward to it hitting my stream. I'm home. I'm bored. You know, <laughs> everything sucks right now. <laughs> thanks. You make things a little <laughs> bit brighter. So I just wanted to acknowledge that I have gotten all those and I appreciate them a great deal. Yes, absolutely. We do appreciate all the listeners and we're seeing the numbers that are really big. So I know a lot of people out there need this right now and are very excited to get a daily podcast on the NFL, and we're happy that we're able to still bring this to you every day. So I, I love do, do, talking with fans and, you know, uh, listeners. They have a great perspective, and they come up with ideas and, and things that I don't think about. So dipping in once a week, and they remind me of things that I screwed up throughout the week, which is important on both of sure. my podcasts, and, and just have good subjects and actually one of the the good subjects from last thursday was we were talking about wide receiver comps and sully came back with some more comps for cornerbacks this time and wanted to have our opinions on him so uh, that was a fun conversation so i want to start here because i want to make sure we get to this question 
And uh, these are Lance Zerline comps from NFL.com that he thought was interesting that he wanted to throw out to us. Uh, the top two guys, Okuda, is being compared to Patrick Peterson and C.J. Henderson compared to Carlos Rogers, which is an interesting one that I think I really mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I mean, Rogers, I haven't thought about him for a while, but he was a former first-round pick out of Auburn. Was he a great player in the pros? No, but he was a press man, long-armed guy. Didn't love tackling from what I remember, and that fits this yeah. comparison pretty well. Um, that's a good one. And Peterson is high praise. I've also heard Ramsey. They might be a little rich just in terms yeah. of I think what they were born with. Top but speed Akuda's a little bit, yeah. the prototype. Rogers is perfect. No, yeah, the top speed for Okuda. I think that is a step below where Mm -hmm. basically if Ramsey and Peterson were in this draft, Okuda would go third is is the best way to put that. And so, but I I can see like with length, he's built a lot like Ramsey. He just doesn't have quite that long speed and quite the burst that Ramsey does. I love the, I think mentally he's a lot like those guys, just the confidence, the way he plays, uh, which is why I think that Okuda's nearly a bust-proof guy because I think he just brings the whole package and he has plenty of speed, you know, four four eight or whatever he ran at the, the combine. And there, there's no worries about his speed on tape or anything like that. He doesn't run the four three nine that um, that C.J. Henderson ran, and he's not, you know, the four four one and not quite as fast as Patrick Peterson, who was one of the great athletes we've seen in the last decade. But so I think it's... And it's really hard for me to really have a great comp for Okuda because of that, because I get why he's in that category of players like Ramsey and like Patrick Peterson, but he's just not quite there athletically, even though he's a really good athlete. Yeah. I mean, people forget, I mean, Peterson was an elite punt returner, (laughs) you know, like he had some Woodson D on to him. You know what I mean? I mean, put the ball in this guy's hands. I mean, he was a special, special player and he's up in age. So I'm not not talking about him in past tense necessarily, Um, but you're right. I mean, I think you said it well there that, if Ramsey and Peterson were in this draft, Okuda would go third. But I Okuda goes first any other year. You know what I mean? Most if, other if, years, right, yeah. Maybe over anyone else I can remember since Peterson. And it's not a knock on Okuda. Those guys were oh. special freaky athletes that he's being compared to. So that's, you know, that's high praise. And I, I love the Rodgers to, to CJ Henderson. Rodgers, you know, a slim, right around six feet, mm-hmm. slim build. He could fly coming out. That's a great comp there. Jeff Gladney and Sidney Jones pre-injury is an interesting one. I don't know if Sidney Jones had cr- quite the scrappiness because that's the first thing that stands out to me with Jeff Gladney. I would say almost, um, man, I don't even know who's the scrappiest guy you can think of because that's who I would compare Gladney to just to put the right yeah. sort of frame of mind in your head of what kind of prospect you're getting. Yeah, again, I mean, I'm not good at comps. I'm. I like to sit back and analyze what other people do the comp things. But if I have to pull them out of blue, out of the sky, I'm not particularly good at them. Um, I hear you though. I mean, I do think that's a good way of describing Gladney. Is he is a fighter? He's tenacious. He has the mentality you look for. Um, let me think on that one because there certainly has been some bulldog type corners that never die. And maybe our audience will think of one and shoot us a tweet tomorrow or whatever, too. They're not built the same, but Cortland Finnegan, someone like that, comes to mind. But, mm. you know, they, they don't really – that's not a great comp either because of the style of play. Uh, he wasn't the most by, liked fella. In the yeah, league. He, he definitely wasn't, but he was absolutely <laughs> scrappy and would fight you at the line of scrimmage. In fact, he got in a fist fight with Andre Johnson, the famous fight. Uh, a couple I really like. Lester Hayes. Oh, Lester Hayes. Well, okay, the callback <laughs> there. That's a good one. 
A couple of comps here I like from this list, and we can wrap this up. But uh, Trevon Diggs and Aqib Talib is a great one. And then Bryce Hall and James Bradbury. That, that's a good one. They're future starting cornerbacks, but they're not going to go in the first round for, for different reasons, but have that length and that size and could probably earn a pretty good second contract, I expect, from Bryce Hall. He's one of my favorite sleepers in that. Now, he's not really a sleeper because he's on the radar. People thought he might be a first-rounder last year, but he had that really bad lower leg injury this year wasn't able to work out at the combine so people are going to question his speed which is going to keep him out of the top 50 picks or so but when you're talking about late second maybe even third round for Bryce Hall I'm all in on that because I think he's a future starter yeah he very well could be and I think both those dudes Hall and Diggs are not for every scheme you know they're not Chris Harris flexible slot guy you know I think you want to play a little more either press man or I always think of Richard Sherman, you know, off, be yep. smart, go be big, physical, come downhill, tackle. Um, I, I could see Diggs in later in life becoming a safety possibly as well. I think Diggs is a really good player. Like I, I watched a little bit of him since the mock because I put him at 32 last yesterday with to the Chiefs. He might be better than that. I mean, he might be a little bit better than some of these corners I put ahead of him yesterday. I think he's pretty darn good. Yeah. And, and I hear you on Hall. I'm with you. They didn't work out for different reasons, but that's going to hurt both of those players. And I talked about it on my mock draft. I, I left Diggs out for that reason. Is I don't know if teams are going to be willing to draft a corner in the first round that they don't have a time on. So unless he's able to throw some time out there at a, a makeshift pro day before the draft, and I, I'm sure a lot of prospects are trying to do that. And I've seen some where they're trying to, I just, I don't know how they can how much teams can trust any numbers that come out of the environments that teams, that players are going to have to try to, to do a pro day now with, um, you know, just with straight video or however they're going to do it and have a few guys out there trying to work. But I wouldn't trust that. Yeah. Especially forties. I mean, if you run a hundred forties, one of them is going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. How many, how much <laughs> editing is done on the tape that you're going to send to the teams? So right, wait till the wind's at your back and, you know, and it's going to hurt those types of players when one of the questions is how fast exactly are they? And you want to see that time. So it's going to hurt Diggs. It's going to hurt Hall, but both of them really fit cover three style teams. And at some point they're just going to be too valuable and probably somewhere in the second round range for both players is my guess. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think Diggs clearly goes ahead of Hall and probably is a top 40 guy where Hall might be. 40 to 70 neighborhood but corners go high big corners go high a lot of teams are going to covet these guys there's obvious similarities both of them have pedigree to them i mean they didn't come out of nowhere um one note though about this whole where we're at in the you know the the draft what three weeks away you know there's a headline out there that two is fine he could play tomorrow (laughs) to me that was like the definition of don't believe anything this time of year yeah, he's, he said he's 100% and he could play a game today. And what, two months ago, he said, it's, you know, maybe I'll, maybe it's best for me if I have to sit for a full year. That's okay. So it's a very different tune he's singing right now. And I bet his agents are like, you know what? Yeah. We need to play this as close to you being ready as possible, which, and maybe that's true. I mean, we saw his little workout and he was doing his footwork and stuff. And, you know, that's a, a 10 second clip. You can't take everything from that, but Tua could be way ahead of schedule. He could be right on schedule. It's just going to be hard for from where I sit. It's the one thing that is making me a little bit worried for his draft stock. And, and, you know, because I had the Dolphins trading up for him and you had the Chargers trading up for him. If you cannot get your hands on him and really look at him with your doctors and all you getting is his own doctor's MRI, is that enough? 
And yeah. it, and even if he sat out all year, is that enough? Do you it, is was that the plan anyway? So would it really not matter if you believe at some point it's going to be a hundred percent? And then there's other injuries with Tua anyway. And you know teams don't like unknowns in the draft, so that's the draft's biggest question mark because it's a huge domino if he starts to tumble. Yeah, I have two other notes on that. Like I said, I we both had him going very early in a trade up situation. But maybe in the end, that works to Miami and or the Chargers' advantage where they say, we're just going to stay at five and six, and we think Herbert and Tua will be here, and we'll take them. You know, like, right. who really is going to – I mean, I, I've been saying all along, these guys go earlier, but I also didn't see a coronavirus coming and not knowing, you know, the medicals. <laughs> yeah. Who's Is there somebody that's definitely – that's not the Chargers or Miami going to trade the two, three, four? I'm not sure who that team would be, you know, I mean, so maybe you do just sit there and chill and say, we'll get one of the two. I did see um, a lot of talk this week on Twitter. People are throwing around the the draft chart and how many points it would take for the Patriots to go from 23 all the way up into the top 10 to draft one of those quarterbacks, maybe even working a deal with the Giants, which would be very interesting if the Patriots were that team to try to go up and get their guy. Could they get it done? I mean, it would have to be a situation where, like you mentioned, the Dolphins especially are fine with both quarterbacks not willing to go up and not worried that a team's going to come way over the top because if that happens, now the Chargers are thinking, oh, why didn't we just trade up two spots because now we just lost both quarterbacks, four or five, boom, boom. Yeah, no, I think that's possible too. I mean, it'll be interesting. It's just hard to judge who's going to bite on Tua and who has enough information. It's such a huge commitment. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm really curious. I mean, he's the most interesting guy on the board, of course. Okay, more Twitter coming up. we got some good questions about some second-year players and, of course, this year's NFL draft. To JDS, he wants your thoughts, Matt, on second-year tight ends Hawkinson, Fant, Sternberger, Smith, and also wants to know if Miles Sanders is clearly the guy in Philly and if he can be a bell cow back. Mm-hmm. Has a little bit of a fantasy spin to it. I like yeah. it. Um, Sanders is somebody I'm going to value extremely high for fantasy this upcoming year. I think he's clearly the guy. Maybe they'll use a fourth or a fifth round pick on a back. That would make sense um, just as insurance. But they did nothing to they let Jordan Howard walk immediately with no fight. Did nothing to change that. He actually grew up right, you know, in Pittsburgh here. He was a five-star recruit coming out of Woodland Hills High School, which put out a lot of really good players, Steve Reston, and a bunch of dudes who played in the league, um, Jason Taylor. Um, so I've been kind of on top of him every step of the way, and I think the Eagles' offense is going to be quite good with the addition of probably a first-round receiver, better health. I think Wentz has an outside shot to be MVP. Like, Sanders, to me, is going to be a first-round fantasy back for me. I am so afraid of Sanders, and I think he's going to get drafted so high because of his talent, because he's obviously should be the every down back for the mm -hmm. Eagles. But the way he was used last year and the way they talked about how his usage and how they want to use their running backs and have more of a committee approach in Philly really scares me. And I, I want to draft him if he's in the right spot, but I'm afraid of drafting him where because I don't think he'll get the usage that he should, even though right now. You look at the depth chart, they're going to have no choice to put him out there every down because I, I don't know right. if you would want Elijah Holyfield or Boston Scott or whoever else is. I don't even know whoever else is on the roster there without Howard. So Howard being gone is huge. But then if they draft a guy, then that all goes out the window again. 
Yeah, I just don't know that they'll take one on the first two days. Enough, to, a guy enough to threaten him. A note on Sanders, though, and this was certainly true a year ago, and I don't know. I saw enough in the pros to say it's corrected itself. But he was a fumbler, and he was not great in protection. So mm. if it's third and eight, and he's not out there. Just keep an eye on that. And maybe like game three of the preseason, just check his usage. Um, let's get to these tight ends, though. I like this group of tight ends. And I think a couple things. I love reading the tea leaves this time of year. But Green Bay really didn't do anything at tight end. I mean, of super note. Like, I think Sternberger's got a shot to be – I think they're telling you they like him a lot. And I love them coming out of school. I think Irv Smith is a massive benefactor of Diggs leaving town. They're going to live in double tight end sets. I bet he, you know, maybe is their second leading receiver, if not third leading receiver. I think his production spikes quite a bit. Fant had a good rookie year. I'm not a fan, though. I mean, I respect what he does. He's very fast in a straight line. I don't think he's a great route runner. But they used him well, and they got him down the field, and I think he serves a good role, don't get me wrong. And I'll take Hawkinson over all of them still. I mean, it was flashes last year, but I think he's got a chance to be one of the best tight ends in the league, maybe more from an NFL than fantasy standpoint, though. Yeah, when you're looking at fantasy, it's all about usage, and, I mean, Hawkinson's a beast, and I hope he gets used as... and. I hope he's their number two receiver. Right, I mean, exactly. Galladay yeah. catches 85 balls and he catches seven. Yeah, and he's the Galladay's the down the field guy, and Hawkinson is like every third down. That's the first read. That's how you hope he gets used. He profiles to do that. Absolutely. We have a question about a rookie running back here from DNA Fit on Twitter. He says, How do you project a guy like Cam Akers who has the athletic traits and lacks vision but also lacks experience? How much assumption is there that he can get better at the technical aspects of reading leverage and using blockers to set up defenders? I will challenge a little bit that he's got bad vision. And I know you I went in depth. I listened to your podcast, by the way, go listen to Matt Williamson's other podcast. Uh, Dynasty, about, Blueprint. Yeah, Dynasty Blueprint. He did a whole episode on Cam Akers. And I don't know if it's so much vision as there were no holes for his vision to find. Yeah. I mean, I would challenge this guy and, just look at it this way. Whatever acres you watched or go just pick any game against a good competition, look at it through the view of these five 300-pounders aren't blocking a soul. And he's basically in desperation mode, snap after snap. And I brought it up a lot. His blocking and Jalen Rager's quarterback play were so unbelievably bad that I really give these two prospects more benefit of the doubt for somewhat overcoming it or producing despite such awful situations. I don't think he has elite vision, but I think he's a low to the ground, more powerful than you think, already good blocker, good receiver, bell cow back. And I mentioned, remember I did my top 10 receivers this week. I have a feeling when I do running backs, I really think there's five. I think there's Edwards Hilaire, Dobbins, Akers, and Taylor Swift. I think all five of those guys are their own tier and depends what flavor of ice cream you like. But when I'm forced to rank them in a vacuum, Acres might be number one for me. Wow, that is high praise. And I'm all in on Acres too. I love Acres. I love the way he adjusts to the football in the passing game. I think there's a lot more yeah. there for him as a pro than there was in college. And, you know, he's he was a former quarterback. So there's something to what the uh, the questioner DNA said here about 
how much value you put in his athletic profile, which is pretty much perfect for what you're looking for for a running back, the way he's built, uh, 5'10", 217. He's got long speed. He can hit the home run. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got short area burst. All those things are great. So that's why I think he's going to be a better pro than he was a college player, especially because he's going to have better blockers for him up front. And some of the deficiencies that you might find in his game, I think, uh, can be coached out or he can learn with more experience as a running back. And he has absolutely all of the tools. And you can probably get him as running back four. So that's where I love the value for him too. Yeah. I mean, I think he'll be a day two guy, a second round pick. I'm crossing my fingers. He goes 49 to the Steelers. You know I mean? I'd be fine with <laughs> that as with a couple of these dudes I mentioned, but I think he's very, very impressive. Nice fit. He wouldn't have to carry the load there. Could catch the football right. for you, and uh, that'd be a fantastic fit for the Steelers. Absolutely. Uh, I'm real sure quick, the Bucks would love him. You know, you <laughs> yeah, can sit behind Gurley sure. in Atlanta for a year. You know, there's a lot of spots you'd do quite well. Last one, really quick here, Matt, and maybe you have better understanding of the rules and where these came from than I do. Jerry wants to know why it's necessary to have offensive tackles covered. These illegal formation and illegal motion penalties are enforcing rules that seem unnecessary. Uh, I don't know exactly where every single rule came from, but all I know is trial and error for decades got us to where we are as far as the NFL rule book goes. Yeah, I, I saw this question and I almost hesitated, almost told you, let's not pick that one. But I'm kind of <laughs> glad you did because I've actually thought that too. Like, do, are these rules as relevant in 2020 as they were in 1960? You know, like, or 1920. Yeah. You know, I mean, couldn't we just have some. Canadian football like motion and crazy things happening behind the line of scrimmage and uncovered dudes. And then I kind of thought about it and it's probably really, it's a question like, well, why is there 11 guys on the field? You know, like it's just one of the rules and this is how we're going to have to play. You right. Know? Yeah. Six guys on the line of scrimmage. And yeah. uh, I, you know, obviously it's because you don't want to, they, they used to have everybody in the backfield, right. And you're running this wing tees and these old school, you know, it was almost more like, rugby in the way that they ran NFL offenses and the ball used to not even look the same and fly the same way as it does now and there's not even the forward pass so that rule is from way back and so it's hard to know why they got to where exactly they got but at some point you just have the rules and that's the game and even if you change something very small like the tackle doesn't have to be covered then there would be it would be a massive shift in how offensive coordinators are able to employ their offense so it it seems unnecessary but I mean that would be a huge change in in how the game is played, probably. Right. I mean, it's just a fundamental rule that everyone's been playing with and they've brought up as their coaches. And it's almost like, what if your pawn could take three moves now? You know, like, well, that changes the game a lot, you know, right. or it's just totally different. One thing I would like to see, though, and like I've seen the Ravens test this a lot, is I really think the two people on both sides of the ball should never be allowed to go out. You know, like sometimes... It, 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 things happen so fast that you'll see people sub and you don't know exactly who's eligible. I wish those yeah. things were a little clearer. And I think that's, I don't say it's cheating, but it's bending the rules where they're about to snap. Right. And you, you get the, you, the, how do you put this? So the, the, the team that wins the play won it because of something that fundamentally you don't want teams to win because of you want teams to win right. because you got beat, not because, Oh man, we didn't realize that guy was eligible and he's standing wide open in the end zone. And you're running hurry up and I don't have enough yeah. time to check. And, you know, like, though I'm not sure how you put a stop to that. Maybe it's just that these five closest to the ball are not allowed to go downfield no matter what. But that makes me a little crazy. And it, it seems like a big loophole. And we're seeing a lot more of that, too, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Big man touchdowns, which are fun 
on one hand, but you don't want your team to lose because of that either. Right. It's almost like I'm playing hoops and I didn't know this guy could shoot and he shoots, you know, like I need to know the rules here, you know, like that's not fair. All right, we're out of time here, Matt. Thank you so much uh, for all of the Twitter questions we got. Apologize if we did not get to yours, but keep them coming on Twitter. We'll hit it again next Thursday, which will be the day before we kick off our network-wide Locked On Podcast Network mock draft kicks off next Friday. I can't believe we're already here. We're only a few yeah. weeks out from the draft. Um, but again, find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. Keep those questions coming and we'll hit him again next week right here. Locked on NFL.